Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, Happy New Year to you! (laughs) I hope you managed to get some rest over the Christmas period. I confess that I did need a bit of a chilled week or two myself and so I went on a bit of a go slow for the past couple of weeks in all honesty. However, one significant upside of that is that I managed to read a couple of books over this period as a result. And I want to share with you some of the salient points from one of those books today, because quite frankly, it's absolute gold dust. Now, imagine spending an extended tutorial with one of the world's most successful investors spanning many decades. Well, Charlie Munger, the complete investor, is a little like doing that. And do you know the best part? This book was a gift to me from a member of my community as well. Thank you very much, Walter, for the very kind and thoughtful gift. I didn't appreciate, in fact, the great riches it contained until I picked it up over the Christmas period. So I really appreciate you giving me that gift uh, um, some months ago now, so I finally got round to reading it. But anyway, let's see what investment principles and fundamentals we can learn from the complete investor right now then. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. So today's episode is not a full review, um, but it takes in some of the key elements from the book, Charlie Munger, The Complete Investor, which is by Tren Griffin. So who exactly is Charlie Munger? Well, if you've not heard of him, you will probably have heard of his longtime business partner, none other than Warren Buffett. Charlie and Warren are the co-founders and key stakeholders in Berkshire Hathaway, which is an investment business that has consistently outperformed the stock market over many decades. And if you haven't heard of that, I suggest you go and look it up. So quite frankly, anything that Charlie has to say about being a successful and indeed durable investor in the long term is worth paying attention to. I'll use many direct quotations in the course of today's episode, which are from Charlie Munger himself, unless otherwise stated. First, though, some context. Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett practice a form of investing made popular by Ben Graham called value investing. In a nutshell, value investing, according to Graham, Buffett and Munger, involves uncovering businesses or assets that are available below their intrinsic value and create a positive net present value over time. So that's two principles right there then. Below intrinsic value, which is different to below market value or price. Um, And if you read the book, you'll understand how that uh, is defined. And creating a positive net present value on the remaining lifetime cash flow which means businesses and assets that generate income in excess of expenses over an extended period of time, um, which implies a residual income stream, or income streams, generally speaking. 
And that can include selling the asset later at a profit as well. So it's not just all about things like you know dividends or or in 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 property speak, uh, rental income. It can also be about selling the asset later on to add to the cash flows, of course. And whilst Munger, Buffett, and Graham subscribe to many of the same principles. Munger and Buffett have modified the original Graham value investing method to allow them to find more investments than would be possible if following the original Graham model alone. And in fact, actually, if you monitor them over time, just recently, they've even gone into technology stocks, uh, significant holding, for example, in IBM and more recently in Apple. And that was something that um, you know, they, would be a, they wouldn't have done before and, and Graham wouldn't have done before. So that's an example, if you like. So what are the four fundamental principles of value investing then as created by Ben Graham? Well, the first one is to treat a share or stock uh, as a proportional ownership of the business. And that's, uh, in, in, you know, in other words, understanding how to be a good investor makes you a better business manager and vice versa. Or as I'd like to put it, treating investing as a business operation. Of course, they're talking about investing in businesses here, but investing in any form, including a property, of course, is a form of business operation. So we need to treat it that way. Buy at a significant discount to intrinsic value to create a margin of safety. There's a couple of points there, intrinsic value and margin of safety, and they're defined in the book. Uh, and, And as Munger puts it, be motivated when you are buying and selling securities by reference to intrinsic value instead of price momentum. In other words, look at net cash flows and return on investment to value an asset, not the market value or prices, in other words. An investment operation is one which, upon um, sorry, thorough analysis, promises safety of principle and an adequate return. Safety of principle is your safety of capital and adequate return is your return on the investment. Operations not meeting these requirements are speculative. So in other words, income returns are more like investments and market capital growth is more like speculation. The exception to that is where you know you're buying at an inherent discount and uh, you know we would call that forcing the appreciation. You're buying at a discount or you add value to an asset and you sell it for a higher price later on and you get above market price growth. But perhaps I'm going a little bit too complicated into the definition there. And the margin of safety is the difference between the present value of the cash flows and the market price. But we might use the term discount instead. Third, make bipolar Mr. Market your servant, not your master, as the book says. The market is somewhat efficient, according to Munger, but it exaggerates the highs and lows, as if dealing with a manic depressive, as he calls it. So the trick then is to swim against the market tide, or at least don't be carried away with it when it ebbs and flows at its extremes. Fourth, be rational, objective and dispassionate. Quotation, the idea of being objective and dispassionate will never be obsolete. Munger understands and applies theories and models from a wide range of disciplines, including economics, statistics, psychology and the natural sciences, among others. As he puts it, you must know the big ideas in the big disciplines and use them routinely. All of them, not just a few. Most people are trained in one model, economics for example, and try to solve all problems in one way. You know the old saying, 
To the man with a hammer, the world looks like a nail. And this is a dumb way of handling problems. But equally, people calculate too much and think too little. Just pause on that. People calculate too much and think too little. It's a recurring theme in the book, actually. And I just, I've highlighted this next quotation from Munger in, uh, in bold, actually. The best thing a human being can do is to help another human being no more. And that's exactly what Walter has done with, to me by sharing this book with me. And indeed, what I'm now doing with you by sharing a, a synopsis, if you like, uh, at least a small synopsis from my perspective. But how does this play out in practice as far as Munger is concerned? Well, Munger reads a lot. <laughs> in particular, he's read literally hundreds of biographies. And as Griffin puts it, learning from the success and fail failures of others is the fastest way to get smarter and wiser without a lot of pain. Or as I like to put it, experience is learning from our own mistakes, whilst wisdom is learning from other people's mistakes. However, turning ourselves into a learning machine, which clearly Munger has done for himself, is not the only requirement. As a contrarian investor, which Munger is, and as Buffett famously put it, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. It takes courage and a calmness or an emotional framework or the right temperament, as the book outlines. The right temperament is a key point here. It's not just about knowledge, it's also about temperament. And as, as Munger puts it, I'm a great believer in solving hard problems by using a checklist. You need to get all the likely and unlikely answers before you. Otherwise, it's easy to miss something important. So there you have it. Even the, one of the greatest investors that's ever lived uses checklists. <laughs> not a bad idea then, is it? But now I just thought I'd get into summarizing, if you like, some of the salient principles, investment principles that I picked out uh, from the book that, that, that Munger clearly ascribes to. And in no particular order, uh, the first one is avoid complexity. Or as he put it, we have a, pa a passion for keeping things simple. Avoid complexity. Secondly, avoid being stupid. <laughs> It's remarkable how much long-term advantage people like us have gotten by trying not to be stupid instead of trying to be very intelligent. It's kind of simple, isn't it, when you boil it down? Um, try, and, try and not be stupid rather than be try and be very, very intelligent. In other words, and I think we'll get onto this point later on, um, there's, a, there's what uh, they call a circle of competence. Munger has a circle of competence that he operates within. In other words, he sticks to what he, what he knows. Indeed, be worldly wise is the next point. And as Griffin notes, knowledge from one domain is not enough. To be wise, one must also have experience, common sense, and good judgment. How one actually applies these things in life is what makes a person wise. So this is what, you know, we're talking about being worldly wise, but it's not just knowledge or head knowledge. It's experience, common sense, and good judgment, and applying those things, not just knowing about them. And in other words, it's no good just being on egg eggheads. <laughs> Next, we can't all beat the market. The idea that everyone can have wonderful results is inherently crazy. Nobody expects everyone to succeed at poker, says Munger. Next, we have natural tendencies which can lead to misjudgment. 
as Munger puts it. Bias arises from the non-mathematical nature of the human brain in its natural state as it deals with probabilities, employing crude heuristics, and is often misled. Or we have a range, if you like, of natural investment biases that can be counterproductive and cause us to make uh, investment errors at times. And these include, among a number of others, um, uh, several tendencies such as liking or disliking, uh, doubt avoidance, reciprocation, pain avoiding denial, and over-optimism, and of course social proof tendencies to name just a few. And uh, there's another episode I've done on biases which you might want to look up uh, or drop me a note if you want to point it to where that is. But um, yep, you can catch us all out and uh, clearly Munger is aware of that. The point I was making earlier, stick to what you know and understand or the circle of competence as Munger likes to call it. We have to deal with things that we're capable of understanding, he puts quite simply. Next, value investors wait for mispriced assets to appear rather than predicting the future price movements in the short term. And so this means they sit and they wait for the right opportunities and that could mean long periods of inactivity. And you'll hear uh, later on about some of the qualities that, uh, that are needed to actually put this into practice. Finally, in this category, if you can't beat the market, be the market. One standard prescription for the know-nothing investor with a long-term time horizon is a no-load or low-cost index fund, as Munger puts it. In other words, if you don't have what it takes, then stick to market-based index funds with low-cost and tax deductions instead. Well, the next major category in the book was, was a section really devoted to what's called the right stuff and having the right stuff. And Munger's spoken about what constitutes the right characteristics of the intelligent investor over a period of many years, which Griffin has boiled down uh, to the following key traits. First of all, patient. As Munger puts it, patience combined with opportunity is a great thing to have. My grandfather taught me that opportunity is infrequent and one has to be ready when it strikes. So patience. Disciplined. We both insist on a lot of time being available almost every day to just sit and think. That is very uncommon in American, in American businesses. We read and think. So Warren and I do more reading and thinking and less doing than most people in business. Next. Calm but courageous and decisive. As he puts it, it's amazing how fast Berkshire acts when we find opportunity. You can't be timid and that applies to all of life. Quite like that. You need to be reasonably intelligent but not misled by their high IQs. So there's a reasonable degree of intelligence that's needed but as you'll hear that can be compensated for in other ways. A lot of people, as Munger puts it, um, with high IQs are terrible investors because they've got terrible temperaments. There's a clue to how you can compensate, if you like, if you haven't quite got the, you know, egghead IQ, if you like. Honest, or honesty. As he puts it, you ought to have an internal compass. So there should be all kinds of things you won't do, even though they're perfectly legal. That's the way we try to operate. Again, I like that one. Confident and non-ideological. 
As he puts it, if you get a lot of heavy ideology young and then you start expressing it, you're locking your brain into a very unfortunate pattern. You're going to distort your general cognition. So in other words, you know, be confident, but don't get bogged down in a heavy ideology. Have a broad outlook. Don't be too narrowly focused. Next up, long-term oriented. As he puts it, almost all good, all good businesses engage in pain today, gain tomorrow activities. Another way of expressing that, if you like, could be delayed gratification, of course. Passionate. I would argue passion is more important than brain power. There you go. I told you there was a way to compensate from the IQ point. So having good temperament, having passion, having having the uh, IQ or the brain power, you know, there's, we're starting to build a picture here. But passion is definitely something that can be more important than brain power. Studious. Develop a lifelong self-learning, uh, sorry, self-learner through voracious reading. Cultivate curiosity and strive to become a little wiser every day. I like that. Strive to become a little wiser every day. Collegial, as he puts it, I hardly know anybody who's done very well in life in terms of cognition that doesn't have somebody trusted to talk to. In other words, we can't do it alone. And we need to actually bounce ideas off somebody else and somebody who can hold us to account. A sound temperament is next. Having a certain kind of temperament is more important than brains. There we go again. <laughs> a counter to the brain or intelligence uh, point. You need to keep raw, irrational emotion under control. And it's one you know that I've struggled with in my early years in particular um, to keep my sort of raw, irrational emotion under control. But you know, as I've got older and I've learned certain techniques, I've been able to do that. And it's something that when I talk to some of my mentees, for example, we talk about quite a lot. Frugal, uh, as, as Munger puts it, Mozart overspent his income his entire life and that'll make you miserable. <laughs> so Mozart didn't really enjoy his life, I think his implication, because he didn't manage money very well. He wasn't frugal. So we need to be careful, penny wise and pound foolish. And finally, in this category, risk averse. Um, and as he puts it, using a stock price's volatility as a measure of risk is nuts. No, it's not about price movements that's, uh, that's risky. Risk to us is one, the risk of permanent loss of capital. So that's the security of losing your, your investment principle or capital. And two, the risk of inadequate return. So he's looking for high returns overall from, uh, from his investments. And that's how you avoid uh, taking unnecessary risks. It's not to say that they haven't, you know, sometimes not worked out their investments, but they, they reduce the odds is what, it, uh, is what the conclusion is there. But anyway, there we have it. It's my snapshot perspective into the methods and approach of one of the world's most successful investors. You might not have heard of Charlie Munger before. You've probably heard of Warren Buffett. Well, he's half of the same of the same team, if you like. And of course, a lot more was covered in the book than is even possible to highlight here for sure. Equally, Munger insists uh, in businesses, uh, sorry, insists, he invests in businesses. And you might be wondering, how does this apply to property investing? I should have said this at the beginning, really, shouldn't I? Well, I've tried to extract in, in this episode characteristics from the book that I think can apply to any form of investing to formulate some investing uh, fundamentals, if you like, that we can extract from Charlie Munger and apply ourselves. And I hope you find these uh, useful reference points 
for your own investing journey, in fact. Although I can highly recommend that you get yourself a copy of the book and do as I did. Read it with a highlighter pen in your hand because it's so rich in content. And there's so many other quotes and extracts I could have shared, but I just try to focus in on some of the key ones, as I mentioned. But anyway, speaking of books, <laughs> you may know that I launched my second book at the end of the year. And it's called PropTech, or hashtag PropTech, to give it its proper title or full title. A guide to how property technology is changing how we live, work and invest. And there's a link in the show notes to, to the book which is available on in, in two types of Kindle format and also as both a color, a full color version and a black and white paperback too. So the world is your oyster really in terms of cho choosing the format that's good for you and different price points as well. But I'm gonna let you into a little secret now too. If you happen to buy a copy of my first book, which is called Property Investor Toolkit, links are in the show notes, um, and you wrote in to receive the book bonuses, then you'll have access to information on how to grab a copy of the second book, hashtag PropTech, at a discount. Now then, if you want a quick hack, then I suggest you grab a copy of the Property Investor Toolkit now, if you don't already have one, which will also be available for a special price, for the Kindle version at least, until this Sunday. So this is going out on Wednesday, until Sunday is gonna be a special price available on my first book. Then you can buy the first book if you don't have it already, register for the book bonuses, or if you have it, just register for the book bonuses. And then you, for a limited time, you'll get access to special pricing on the hashtag PropTech book as well. And that will be released and made available to people on the mailing list for the Property Investor Toolkit book bonuses. And if that all sounds just too confusing, then you can just simply go and buy a copy, copy of either or both books instead. I really don't mind. They're very fairly priced and the royalties that I receive go towards funding what I do here for you each and every week at The Property Voice. So what's not to like about that then? Keep it simple, just go and buy the book or write in for the book bonuses of the Property Investor Toolkit and I'll tell you how to get the second book at a discount. That's, that's fair enough, isn't it? Okay, so that's me done for the first week of the new year. I hope you've all, you know, got your goals in order. That hopefully is something that maybe you might have looked at. Not talking about resolutions, I'm talking about goals and I'm talking about property investment goals in particular. I've got a couple of resources there. If you haven't already, drop me a line, um, admin at the propertyvoice.net and ask to go on the podcast resources page, which has got all the links from every podcast episode um sort of the resources from every pop podcast episode i've ever shared so uh, that includes um a template for a business planning tool and some goal setting tools in there too so drop me a note and i'll share that with you and um but it's me done for this week and don't forget make a note of the top one or two investment fundamentals courtesy of charlie munger mine is to try and avoid being stupid and you can find them all in the show notes over the, the website, thepropertyvoice.net. Or if you want to talk about anything from today's show or just talk about investing, property investing generally, you know you can email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and I'd be more than happy to hear from you. Sorry about mixing up my email addresses earlier on there. But once again, all I want to say is thank you very much for listening this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.